Hello everyone. Welcome to Ruth is Stranger Than Fiction. It's a very exciting day. We're very excited because guess who is here with us? It's only bloody Katie Holiday. Yeah! Yeah! Hello, I'm Katie. In your house. She's in our house. <laughs> it's allowed. It, it's allowed now. Just one Katie is allowed into the house. <laughs> That's what Boris says. <laughs> one Katie is allowed per household. If Boris says it. <laughs> uh, we're very excited. Um, it's really good news. So I'm here. Hello, I'm Ruth McPhee. Katie Holiday's here. Hello. And Chris who you've got quite used to being behind the microphone. We've taken that off him now. I know, I've robbed him of it. I feel a bit worried. I'm not going to be as funny as Chris now. It's going to be too much pressure. Um, So Chris is just back doing all the the levels and the recordings, but he can still say hello. Hello. There he is. You hear him. He's muffled, probably. Um, And Vin's here too. He's very happy that Katie's back. Now, very quickly... In order to introduce our drink, which we are holding already. Mm. Yeah, because we can get back on the drinks now as well, in earnest. Yes. We hadn't really got too too drinky on the other ones, but... I'll tell you the, the time frame, because that will help us with our drink. We're in Victorian England, which was the time really for quite a lot of murders. Yes. 1848 is the year, and the place is Norfolk. But I'll say a bit more about that in a minute. But Katie, do you want to tell us about our first drink, which I must say looks very exciting? Well, hopefully. We haven't tasted it yet. We'll see. In the early 1840s, Charles Dickens went to America. Did he? Yes. And he brought back exciting knowledge of cocktails. He enjoyed a cocktail, is apparently what the internet tells me. (laughs) And um, one of the cocktails he particularly enjoyed, he's quoted as having a list of cocktails he tried and enjoyed. Oh, wow. And one of them is called a timber doodle. But okay. the recipe for a timber doodle is lost, but the theory is that it contains ginger. Okay. Uh, so, but no one knows. So this is my version of a timber doodle. So just, I'm trying to envision the word, timber-like wood. Like wood. And then do- doodle, just a like doodle. doodle. Timber doodle. Yeah, so he's, he, he was on record as having tried a list of cocktails that and, he said were great. Okay. And that was in the list. And everything else is well known still to this oh, day. But the timber doodle's fallen out of knowledge. Yeah. Oh, well, tell us what's in our timber doodle So, then. well, because I've read that they are thought to have contained ginger, this has got a ginger liqueur and a fizzy wine and hibiscus flowers. Lovely. So it's hibiscus and ginger. And we'll try it. And also a sparkly thing. Yes, that, that wasn't necessarily it adds a Victorian. Pearly, a pearly glow. <laughs> <laughs> Just for some excitement. Okay, let's try our timber doodles. Mm. We've all got one. Ooh. Oh, it's... Oh, <laughs> heck. Oh, no, it's... I think it's... Let's... One, another sip. Sometimes the first sip isn't... Well, it's much more isn't gingery very than I expected. Maybe the quantities were not right. You're saying we need more fizz. Mm. Much more fizz. You're right, the second sip's better, but... I think not... we'll grow accustomed. <laughs> Oh, that's what you want from a drink, something you can grow accustomed to. <laughs> it looks very attractive, though. Yes. Do you, and I don't really know what the flavour of hibiscus is, so I can't tell what in here is the flavour of the flowers. I'm not really sure. I think it's just a bit floral. Okay. Well, I'm on board with it. I mean, it's not the worst thing we've tried. It's not like when you made the milky drink. <laughs> no, nothing will ever be like that ever again, will it? No, I really hope. <laughs> no, 
Now you said that, is that like an official promise? <laughs> Nothing will be like the Milky Drink um, again. No, I, I think it's good. And if we can imagine that we're in 1840s, mm. Charles Dickens just come back to the country and he's gone, come on, guys, get this timber doodles. Get this timber doodle down your throat. Lovely. It's probably medicinal being all gingery. Oh, ginger is good for you. Mm. So let's say that. Oh, oh. okay. <laughs> so we've got our drinks. Katie, you've missed us, haven't you? Yeah. You've missed trying these weird concoctions. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've just been forced drinking, to put them into yourself. Just drinking normal wine and beer. But oh no, this is what drinking's really about. Uh, okay, so Katie's back. I gave her the choice of two topics for today. I said we can either do murder or we can do body snatching. Um, and she did pick murder. So here we are. Yes. So our story today is that of the Stanfield Hall murders. Sounds like Cluedo. It does. Cluedo with eels <laughs> as weapons. God. We haven't had much eel chat since you've been gone. <laughs> <laughs> or, as I've been calling them for reasons which will become apparent, the germy-germy murders. Okay. So you'll find out why. It's not corona. <laughs> not that kind of germ. Germ with a J. Germy-germy. Now, this is classic Katie stuff. A Victorian mansion house. Okay. Some intrigue amongst the classes an intricate plot mm. a cunning plot involving forged documents disguises all that kind of thing so Brilliant. it's quite quite classic katie the gruesome events which we're going to talk about took place on the 28th of november 1848 but first i'm going to tell you a bit of background on the house because that's like our setup mm. if you think of it like an agatha christie we I'm, I'm definitely of, thinking of it as an Yeah, episode. we need a bit of a setup. So um, there's quite a lot of convoluted backstory. A lot of it involves ancestry and inheritance lines, which isn't that interesting. So I'm going to kind of gloss over that and just sum up the important points. A lot of the information that I've got today comes from Jeremy.org, <laughs> which is... Chris is laughing. Uh, it's which is a site about the history of the Jeremy family. As I say, Jeremy with a J, mm. who for many years have held the title of the Stanfield Hall estate, which is uh, quite near Norwich in Norfolk. And on the site, they've gathered together lots of resources about the family tree, about kind of well-known people from the Jeremy family. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to say the word Jeremy a lot today. <laughs> okay, I'll get used to it. Sorry. And also, there's a lot of resources about the murders, um, including transcripts of reports from the time and all that kind of thing. So that's what I've been using. In particular, an account by A.D. Bain, which was published the following year after the murder. Okay, so picture the scene. A grand old mansion. Excellent. In the Elizabethan style. Nice. Lots of windows. Yep. It's in the parish of um, Wimondum. Wymondum? Wymondum, I would have gone. Wymondum. It's funny you mentioned Cluedo because it's got all the kind of classic Cluedo rooms. When you read a description of the house, there's drawing rooms, there's a parlour with like oak panelling. I bet there's a scullery. Probably a scullery. There's dining rooms. Um, I don't know about a billiard room. A ballroom? There's or... a grand hall when okay, you yeah, the yeah, house. Good. And then there's a like a winding staircase that goes up oh, to the bedrooms, which has a like full length stained glass window behind it. So it's quite posh. Oh, chimneys. Uh, yeah, it, well, it's it's still in private hands. Oh, so it's, so it's not, not like a, a stately home. Okay. Property. But it's a stately, sorry, you know what I mean? But it, it's still yeah. there, but you can't visit. Yeah, and then there's turrets on the outside. Um, there's a moat. Oh my God, there's around a the moat. house. Brilliant. Um, it's all quite fancy. All with very eel. fancy. Uh, and then there's a big expanse of parkland with like stables, um, some farmhouses, that kind of thing. Also adjoining the parkland is another, quite a good house, but not a mansion. It's called Potash Farm, mm. but it's still pretty nice. 
So that adjoins and there's some people that live there that will become Is that where the younger brother has to live? He doesn't get the house. Uh, no. Okay, I'll listen, sorry. Not guess. Sometimes my concerns are when people ask questions or guess that I don't know the answer. <laughs> so some, that's been quite a problem with Chris in these in these oh, last sausage. few months. You demand. Oh, a lot of questions. <laughs> Always questioning things. So it's all quite impressive, the Stanfield Hall Estate. And in addition to all this land and the mansion, the title of the Stanfield Hall Estate comes with reportedly quite a vast fortune. So if you inherit, you get not only all the land mm. and the house, but you get the accompanying he, you assets. Are... A lord or a viscount or a duke or you? No, you're just a a fellow. Okay. But you're quite rich. Quite a rich fellow. Yeah, well, that's... Now, the Jeremy family. Mm. Let's turn our attention to the Jeremy family. The estate came to the Jeremy family through marriage in the year 1735, so about 100 years prior to our story. William Jeremy later remarried a Francis Preston. Okay. So he'd initially married someone, he'd got the house, mm. she died, and then, then he, he remarried a Francis Preston. In suspicious circumstances? I don't think so. No, just because there's hygiene. Often is, there is, isn't yes. there, but I don't think so. Who knows what it could have been. I've looked at a lot of family trees this week. Yeah. Remember those surnames, Jeremy and Preston? Got it. Uh, We're going to hear them a bit more. There's basically, from that time of Jeremy remarrying Francis Preston to the time of the murders, and even beyond, actually, but we don't care about that, there was quite a lot of muddle around who should inherit. Oh. uh, Because a lot of them actually died without children. Or as... It put, is put in the report from the time. They say without issue. Oh, yes. William Jeremy died without issue. They want to be his chief mourner. <laughs> but also it's like, oh, there was, you know, no problem. He died yeah. without issue. <laughs> anyway, um, so a lot of them died without issue, which is what meant that the estate was kind of going to, like, distant family members sometimes. Mm. It was going to, like, brothers or second cousins or so. There was quite a lot of muddle around who second should inherit. Second cousins once removed. Yeah. Yeah, and then there were quite a lot of disputes about should this is this the the closest relative should it have gone to someone else a lot of people would challenge the so it's all like a bit of a mess when someone died a search would take place who is the nearest Jeremy who is the closest Jeremy in blood or is there a Preston sometimes it would have to go to the Preston side of the family there were like accusations of corrupt lawyers all this kind of thing this is even before the murders it's, it's all bad business such a bad business complicated. Um, And as I say, that continued after the um, events of our story. By the year 1848 and the time of our tale, it was Isaac Preston Jeremy who had control of the estate. So, Oh, but he's a Preston and a Jeremy, surely. Well, I'll tell you why. He was actually a Preston, so he came from the Preston side of the family, but there had been a clause in the will of an earlier Jeremy which stipulated that anyone that took on the estate had to change their name to be a Jeremy. Oh, so you could do that? So anyone who wants to no. come here has <laughs> to be a McPhee? You still have to be a blood relation. <laughs> so he was originally Isaac Preston, but uh, this, so he's become Isaac Preston Jeremy. Double whammy. So he lives in the in the house. Also living in the house is Isaac Preston Jeremy's son. He's called... He's not Isaac Preston Jeremy. He's called Isaac Jeremy Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got Isaac Preston Jeremy Sr., Isaac Jeremy Jeremy Sr. <laughs> the younger Jeremy, the son, was about 26 when, when everything happened. That's quite old for your Victorian yeah, times. You know, it's not, yeah. <laughs> well, you would live at home if your home was a massive yes. Elizabethan mansion, wouldn't you? <laughs> just wander around with your candle. He went back after uni and they couldn't, couldn't get rid of him. <laughs> 
So I'm just going to hang out in the billiard room. If he had an Xbox, he would be on that. The problem with these hibiscus flowers is when you have a sip, they mm. do get in your mouth. In the picture, they all stayed at the bottom and the drink was above it, but they are definitely not staying at the bottom. And then I don't know if you're supposed to just sort of crunch them down, are you? I mean, they're edible, but... It seems uncouth to kind of spit them back into the glass. <laughs> I don't know quite how to deal with it. We could sieve them out. Well, I think if I sort of swill it to send them to the I keep changing the side. I keep changing the angle I'm drinking from. Ooh. Oh, and I can kind of see the gold... The gold dust is pooling at the bottom. That can represent the fortune of the Jeremys. <laughs> gold dust. Yes, well, it's supposed to be a bit of a glamorous drink for yeah. a mansion house. It's very, yeah, I couldn't see you would drink this of a, a fine evening at the Stanfield Hall Manor. Yeah, you're looking over your estate. Definitely. Okay. But eels in the moat, you're just kind of viewing the land. Okay, so back to the Jeremys. These two Isaacs are in the house, mm. older and younger. The mother of the younger, so the, the wife of Isaac... Justin Jeremy. Yes, sorry. Uh, had died quite young, so she's not on the scene anymore. Her name was Mary Ann Beaver. <laughs> it's true. I've seen the family tree. Is that like Beaver Castle Beaver or like it's, just B E A V? It's B double E V O R. So Beaver. Yeah. Because like a Beaver Castle is B E V O I R, isn't it? Like oh. Beaver Road. Oh, yeah. But like Belvoir. Yeah. But you just. But you say Beaver. In the Cambridge way. <laughs> They all they're in the house. Also, a young a young Jeremy, which is Isaac Jeremy Jeremy's daughter, <laughs> and his wife as well. So he's got a wife. Oh, he's got a wife as well. Yeah. So, so the other, his mum's dead, but his wife's there. Yeah. And his daughter. So there's Jeremy Senior. Yeah. Isaac Jerm- Preston Jeremy Senior. Then there's Isaac Jeremy Jeremy, twenty six. His wife, whose name is Sophia. Oh, fancy name. And their little daughter, who I think is also called Sophia. Sophia. Yeah, brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Just weren't enough names back in those days. And then also in the house are all the servants. Yes. They have all servants, butlers, cook. Chambermaid. Chambermaids, uh, maids, scullery maids. As well as um, staff in the grounds like stable boys and all that kind of stuff, gardeners. A footman. I would like a footman to come and like... What do you think a footman does? In my mind, when you come home at night, they uh, stand outside the door holding uh, some lights so you can find your way up the steps. Oh, like, a, a, well, it's a bit late for light boys, isn't it? But anyway. That sounds an easy job. Yeah. And then they stand around the dinners, don't they, as well? So at the dinner, you've got the butler doing the butling and the footmen are standing around the side of the and room. And do they hold smart. the cloche and they, like, open up the cloche and then yeah. the food's inside? I basically know nothing about what service. I just wanted to say cloche. It's yeah. <laughs> a good word. <laughs> and then they dish up the consuming. Ah, they ladle out some some stuff. stuff. Yeah, because the cook does all the cooking, but you never see them. Mm. She's a lady. Yeah. You don't see the lady servants. They, They're not allowed. They scuttle around like cockroaches. Oh, God. No, I'm just kidding. That's not a <laughs> I meant they scuttle around behind the scenes. Yes. Like the men's servants yeah. are the ones who... Yeah, know. so there are also in the Stanfield Hall House, there are those kind of special... There's like the servant corridors mm. and stuff that they use. It does sound fun. I would like to see it. Yeah. It's, could it be like in Pride and Prejudice where we'll, we'll apply to the housekeeper to see it? We could try. We'll just ring the doorbell. And go, but we'll say we're not. We're not. We don't care about the murders because they won't want those types no. coming. Dirty murder lovers. No. coming to see the house. We'll so just say we want to see the. Big we're staircase. Elizabethan historians. We're very interested in staircase. <laughs> I'll say I've extensively researched the Jeremy family tree. Yeah, we'll say I'll throw that. out some names. She's a doctor. I'm a doctor. I'll say, and I know all about the Jeremys. <laughs> <laughs> and if all that fails, we'll make her a timber doodle. <laughs> And then she'll be so ill that she'll have to <laughs> she'll be so show blindsided that she'll like, yes, in he comes. We'll have to drink the fizz, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we're not wasting that. We're just possibly not making it into timber doodles. Uh, 
I don't know. We've got that ginger drink now. So two more characters to hear about. Well, a few, a family, a family of more mm. characters. Remember Potash Farm? Yes. On the estate, not that, so grand. Before all that germy chat, think back to Potash Farm. <laughs> oh, I'm having the a lovely time. You <laughs> really have. It's very exciting. <laughs> oh, we're so giddy. Chris, are you giddy? He's cri- even Chris. Oh, yeah. Even sensible Chris is a bit giddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. There's too much germ talk. Sorry, posh ash, posh ash farm. Posh ash farm. I've only had one drink and I can't say it. Within that farm lived a fellow called James Bloomfield Rush. Nice name. And he lived with his family. Bloomfield Rushes. He had some history with the Preston family. Uh, he was employed for many years by Isaac Preston, Jeremy's father, as his steward. And he rented a different farmhouse from the father that he lived in. And then Isaac Preston, Jeremy, took him on in a similar role. But their relationship was a bit more strained. There'd been some disputes about um, rent. There was so much detail about all the legal bits of this and it was really boring. Basically, stuff about some rents and mortgage. They had got some disagreements over cash and rush owed the other one some money and it is all to do with legal documents it's quite hard though isn't it if you owe your boss money mm. because surely if you can't pay your rent it's because you don't earn enough well, from your boss this from what i can tell i think unless he drank it all rush wanted to buy potash farm and it came up for sale but he didn't have enough money so isaac preston jeremy put his name down for the mortgage to help rush Um. out but then rush was not upkeeping the payments so there was the threat that it was going to basically at some point revert and it would go into the ownership of the jeremy's Mm. and rush would be homeless right so it it was i think the jeremy's were trying to kind of help out okay so not evil landlords i don't think so so his family were dwelling at Potash Farm and their server. They had a few servants, including a woman named Emily Sanford, who was the governess mm. for Rush's children. Oh, well, they've got to be... Okay, I'm a, Yeah, I, so they're not doing too bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I was worried about them. But no, if they can afford a governess... And that, again, I've heard, read a description of Potash Farm and it's called a farmhouse, but it's quite big. Like, mm. it's not what you would... It's not like a tiny cottage. It's, yeah. you know, pretty... Got some... Quite a lot of rooms. Enough rooms yeah. for a family. And if it's got a farm, that's a way to yeah. make money. Okay, I'm, I'm not feeling sorry for him anymore. No. Screw you. Yeah, Bloomfield Rush. Yeah. Screw you. We're just relieved he's not a Jeremy. Yes. <laughs> More Jeremy names to remember. <laughs> okay, so that gives a bit of background. <laughs> How are you feeling so far? I'm, I'm having an excellent time. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, I wish my drink wasn't full of these weedy flowers that are hard to get in my mouth. But generally, we could throw them out the window. Yes, it's true. <laughs> they don't. What will your neighbours think? Why are they throwing these <laughs> weird shrivel? Why are there hibiscus flowers flying out of that window? <laughs> I don't think they'd identify them mm. as hibiscus. Flowers. I'd be amazed if they did. I thought at first when I saw you putting them in, it was rose petals. Yeah, that would probably be really nice. Um, but is the hibiscus flower the one from the Greek myth where they forget what's going on? Or is that a different flower? No, that's a lotus flower. I've got confused. Sorry. Now, less talk of mansions will come next. And inheritances. More talk of violence. Oh, heck. And bloodshed. Heck. You chose murder, not body snatching. Yeah, well, but presumably the bodies have been something before they're snatched. Sometimes they're just dead. Yeah, but they still have to be bodies. Like, <laughs> like, <they're> still... <laughs> For the very definition of a body snatcher. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do body, don't worry we will do body snatches one day yeah just not platy I'll be a safe hear about it. we come to the most terrible night 
of the 28th of November. This account comes from the testimony of the lucky survivors who were able to recreate a lot of of what happened through their tale. Did lots of people die? We'll find out. Oh, heck. It's it's gruesome. It's like... Just arsenic in the t- timber doodle and no, and no, oh. nothing so lovely. Oh no, <laughs> nothing so lovely as arsenic. Ad by Bain lays all this out. He says it was a dark and windy night, and therefore well suited to a murderer's purpose. Um, another can we account. Get, I want one of those boards for next time, so I can make a thundercat. <laughs> <laughs> the wind. <laughs> another account describes it as cold and clear. So it's a cold, clear November night. Nearly December, so so the nights are, are very long. Picture the scene. Things just are proceeding as normal at first. The time is a little after 8pm. It's quiet, it's dark. The hall is quite a long way from any other dwellings. Of course, no one so is civilization. There's no urban noise. No one to sound the alarm. <laughs> no one to sound the alarm! <laughs> it's true. The the Jeremy family have, have quite their usual habits of an evening. They will dine... Yes, with the footman and the... The cloche. Yes. The, the food. Jeremy Senior is, after dinner, sitting alone in the dining room. Maybe with a port. I bet he's got a port. Maybe with a cigar. I don't know how he feels about smoking. <laughs> I can't say. No. But oh, definitely a port. Definitely a port. So he's he's sitting, um, sitting still in the dining room. Jeremy Junior and his wife, Sophia, have retired to the drawing room. He might still have a port. They're she- about to take tea. Oh, she's, I was about to say she's going to have a cup of tea. Yeah. But there's still a fire going. It's nice. Yeah. Maybe play nice. some cards. Really cosy, I think. That's exactly what they were going to ah, do. Of course they were. That's what you do after they dinner. They were going to play cards. A game called Pique. Ah, do you know about that? Heard of it, but never played Pique? it. Pique? I don't know. So they were preparing to play cards. Sophia, the baby daughter, is sleeping. Everything calm, quiet. Nothing out of the ordinary. Tranquil and pleasant for the rich folk up in their mansion house. As was his habit, Jeremy Senior proceeded out onto the porch at the front of the mansion to take the air. Maybe that's where he has his cigar. Yeah, that's cigar. where he has his cigar. Port first, then cigar. It was there that he was confronted by an armed man. Armed with what? Heck. Uh, a gun. Oh, right. Very seriously armed. He what? was seriously armed. He had a firing weapon. Jeremy Senior proceeded out and immediately this fellow was there. He raised the gun to Jeremy Senior's chest and fired the fatal shot right through his heart. Oh, gosh. He fell to the floor. Immediately Is dead. it like a, a hunting rifle or a revolver? I think more like a even a shotgun. Okay. Maybe. Yes, like a double-barreled. Like a farmer's gun. Mm. Or, you know, one that you would take out for shooting. Yeah. Um, shooting so any, any of the farmers and... There are... I think if you live in a mansion on a lot of farmland, there's loads of that yeah. kind of gun around. Yeah. Um, shooting on the partridge. Later on, when the body was examined, gunpowder residue was found on Jeremy Senior's jacket around the entrance wound, which means that the gun was basically at point blank, like fired at Mm. point blank. And his heart was basically completely destroyed. They discovered by the the force of the shot at such a close range had basically destroyed his heart. So he died immediately and just fell where he stood. So that's if there is a small... Yeah, no, no suffering. A small silver lining... Hopefully he got a bit of cigar before he went. (laughs) Maybe. A few puffs. (laughs) I just imagine him like in an Agatha Christie. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm assuming he's wearing a white shirt and black suit. Maybe, or even a fancy sort of smoking jacket. Oh, nice. And he would... He'd just be puffing and then he'd just see a figure emerging out of the darkness and he but and his eyes would widen, but he wouldn't have time to even do anything. No, no, yeah. No time to react really, except just a widening of the eyes and then bang. 
The gunman entered the house. Not content with one Jeremy. He wants more Jeremy's. Oh, he entered the house and started through the hallways. His oh, next gosh, encounter. the beautiful tiled hallways with all the palm trees on. It's little... too nice, isn't it? <sighs> he went through the side door, though. Did he, he didn't go into the front. He went through the side door. Uh, he next encountered the butler. Oh, Jeeves. Well. Oh, was Jeeves like superhuman and like takes him down no, with one? No, um, the butler seems to suggest that he was just able to scurry away. Uh... <laughs> so, so the butler escaped without injury, but did see the man. He later described a man in disguise wearing a black wig and what looked like a fake black beard. So some kind of Hang on, quite what, elaborate get-up. How did this butler get away? He, well, he went down a side alley, a side But did he door. not go like, hang on, like, there's a gunman in the house. He ran off, Katie. Oh, he he's ran not away. Jeeves. He described this, this disguise, fake whiskers, black wig, and some form of, like, big black cape that the guy was wearing. This is worse as well. I mean, I'm not saying the butler should have sacrificed his own life, but as the butler made his escape to the pantry down a side corridor, he saw the masked man. He saw Jeremy Jr. coming out of the drawing room. I didn't say, like, don't... He scuttled! Oh, what a... Horror. He was scared, probably. Yeah, but still. I know. You'd think at least a shout of Raise some alarm, yeah. He saw the masked man confront Jeremy Jr., who had started out to find out what the noise had been. Bang! Another shot from the sinister figure, again at short range to the chest, and Jeremy Jr., too, fell dead to the floor. There's no Jeremy's left. Who would be next? Oh, not Tiny Sophia. Mrs. Jeremy Jr. now ran to see what the commotion was uh, and came across the body of her dead husband, at which point she began to scream. Oh, it's going to ruin her evening gown. (laughs) Oh, no, it's true. One of her maids was drawn by the screaming and ran to see what was, was happening. The gunman came upon the two distressed women. Bang! Bang! Oh! Two more shots rang out. The butler heard them hiding in the pantry. Oh, he's a sweet. The women were lucky, though. The murderer's shots were not so true this time because he wasn't quite close uh, enough to get uh, Oh, so he's a rubber shame. Off. Maybe he's not a farmer after all. Maybe not. Sophia was injured in the arm and Eliza, the servant, was shot in the leg. But they both fell shocked and wounded to the ground. The gunman fled the grisly scene. As he ran from the house, other servants were running for help after hearing all these gunshots, these different gunshots. One stable hand raced to the back of the house, swam the moat, oh, what a borrowed a horse and rode swiftly to the village uh, of Wywondham to raise the alarm. Oh, awesome. He thought that a gang of ruffians had attacked because he had heard so many different shots. Mm. He didn't know what was happening. So he, he raced to the village swiftly on the horse and called for help through the streets. A surgeon and a magistrate from the village were the first to rush to the scene. I mean, that's brilliant, because that's who you want. You don't want the candlestick maker. You want a proper... (laughs) They're they're going to be useful and helpful. The surgeon's going to be useful, and the magistrate, you'd hope, has a kind of a good gravitas, so anything he reports will later be taken seriously. Yeah, like a kind of quiet authority. News was sent out for the county police and the Norfolk, the Norwich police, sorry, as well. So they, Wymondham didn't really have a police force as such. So they had to call for, for help from elsewhere. Uh, so they raced to the house and they were shocked to find the bloodbath. They first came across Isaac Jeremy Sr., Isaac Preston Jeremy, oh. dead on the porch at the front of the house. A so, shocking sight on its own. Strewn. Smoking jacket ruined. Smoking jacket ruined. <laughs> 
Inside the house, they next came across the body of poor Isaac Jeremy Jeremy. Blasted across the beautiful tiles. Dead on the floor. They can't even look at the beautiful staircase because they're too busy going, oh my God. And then they went further in and they found Eliza, who had been shot in the leg, uh, and Sophia Jeremy, who was being helped up by her by her servants. Very traumatised, both of them. So that's the terrible events. Next must come the aftermath, the investigation. Okay, we're back. We've got our next drink. And it's got a brilliant crust. It's got a salty crust around the glass. Now, the salty crust is the key to our story, why it connects to our story. The drink is, you may remember a little while ago, Chris and I had uh, gimlets made with Rees Ancho Verde liqueur, which is a chilli, a green chilli liqueur. So what I've made today, partly as an excuse to use the liqueur because I really like it, is a margarita using that delicious liqueur also quite a lot of tequila a lot of tequila. <laughs> a lot of tequila that's what the recipe told me and sugar syrup and lime juice so that's what we've got so it's it's quite a nice color i'll put some pictures on our instagram account i'm gonna have a sip should we try yeah yeah okay and it's crusted with salt around the around the rim oh i think it's brilliant oh it's it packs a punch. It's it's really the first sip is really salty, but then if you sip again, because then the salt rim is gone. If you sip from the same area, you won't get the salt every time. Oh, but actually, it's quite nice with it's, the salt. It's really good with the salt, but it's also really good generally. Oh, it's strong though. It's incredibly strong. I saw how much tequila went in, and it was a lot. Um, I'll explain my thinking. Obviously, a, a Mexican chili liqueur has nothing at all to do with Stanfield Hall, but Potash Farm. Like Mexican Here's a tenuous link for you. Potash Farm, which we will turn to next in our tale. Potash is salt, oh, I which I never realised. So they would do potash mining, wouldn't they? And it's salt. It's a kind of salt. So I thought that's a kind of an excuse to have a salty rim on a margarita. Brilliant. That's all I've got. <laughs> that's I'm, all the link I'm, is. I'm on board. A salty, a salty link. We left with um, the scene of the magistrate and the surgeon racing to the site. Oh, yeah, brilliant. They come across the two dead bodies and the two wounded women. They've sent for the police. Uh, the police begin to arrive at the house in the not early hours of the morning, but I think it's getting towards daybreak. But the, the police start to arrive. Everyone's trying to work out what's gone on. This has obviously come out of nowhere. It's um, shocking, a shocking incident. And the assailant has just fled into the night. And they don't even know about Cluedo, so they're like... They don't this know about Cluedo. They don't even they know... They think Manor to... Houses are safe. Uh, so they, they look for clues. Firstly, they start to look for the murder weapon, because they think maybe that will help us. That's always key, mm. find the murder weapon. They find some papers which the butler, the scared oh, butler, who raced to the pantry... Weasel. He says, oh, I saw, I saw the assailant drop some papers... And they're like, okay, well, let's look at this. That's very weird. You're going out murdering. Why? Surely you'd empty your pockets. Some papers. So they find these these papers, and they're written. Uh, it's kind of scrawled on the on the pages from um, a book. And what it says is, "We have come to claim the mansion. I am the rightful heir." And it's signed Thomas Jeremy. Who's Thomas Jeremy? Uh, a mystery Jeremy. So is it, it true? Well, it's signed by a Thomas Jeremy. So that's one line of inquiry right there. Mind you, you wouldn't sign your name if you were shooting people. I'm sorry, I've not thought this through at all. That's ridiculous. But there is another suspect immediately. Can you guess? Yeah, Bloomsfield Rush. It's it's bloody James Bloomfield Rush. 
Despite his cunning disguise of wig and cloak and, <laughs> and fake whiskers, Mrs. Sophia Jeremy and the butler say we think it might have been him because mm. I've had a look at some some drawings of him. He's he's very broad shouldered and they said we recognised the height and the way that he walks and he has this kind of very broad shouldered build. And he's also because he'd come in the side door. So he knew the place. He so he, yeah. he'd shot Isaac Preston Jeremy on the front porch, but he hadn't gone in the front door. He'd gone around the side, presumably hoping to escape detection. Or as a as a habit, because he had to always go in the side door because he wasn't a tradesman. Ent- tradesman oh, entrance. maybe. Oh, God, even when murdering. Yeah. Oh. The habit had stuck. So this is relayed to the police. They immediately rushed to Potash Farm. Salty, salty farm. Yep, salty Salty crust on our margarita. Rush protested his ignorance. He said, I didn't even know anything had happened. What are you doing here? What's going on? They found a pair of wet boots at Potash Farm. and And this was the first thing to count against him. Meanwhile, the search went on up at the mansion for more clues. Once daylight came, they drained the moat. God, that is a big undertaking. Hoping to find the murder weapon or any other clues. But they didn't find much in the house other than these mysterious papers that said Thomas Jeremy mm. claiming inheritance. So in the coming days, they kept they kept Rush in custody. They felt like they had enough at the beginning to say, you know, we're going to keep him and question him. He continued to protest his innocence. They carried out a more thorough search of Potash Farm. Several pieces of evidence were found oh. that incriminated Rush. Oh, Bloomsfield Rush. Hidden under the floorboards... We all, first of all, brilliant place to hide. Are you being sarcastic? Yeah. <laughs> That's where they look first, under the floorboards. <laughs> you sounded so sincere, oh. I couldn't tell. So what they find under the floorboards, very incriminating. Oh, it's a black wig. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Okay, he's got no legs to stand on. It's just, that's it. He's going to be hung. Uh, next, a cloak. Oh. <laughs> and some mysterious papers. Oh. Interesting. From the same book. These, it transpired, well, they were legal documents. They were documents bearing the signature of Isaac Jeremy, Isaac Preston Preston Jeremy, Jeremy. turning the ownership of Potash Farm over to Rush because this mortgage disagreement that they were having was at the end of November. That would have been the crunch time. And if Rush Mm. had not paid up what he owed, the ownership of Potash Farm would have reverted to uh, Isaac Preston, Preston Jeremy. Jeremy. But these papers were found that um, were signed, signed by Isaac Jeremy saying, no, I, I sign it over to Rush. As well as the signature of, of Jeremy Senior, they also bore the signature of a witness, as legal documents must do. Yep. It was Rush's governess, Emily Sanford. Oh, oh is she having an affair with him? Ho, 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 is but, she? I don't know. Is that what would happen in Agatha Christie? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah. And apparently, governesses have loose morals. <laughs> oh, what a, what a claim! Well, but in a way, I mean, you're effectively a governess because you're a teacher. Is a teacher not a governess? Well, I think the difference is that you don't go to someone's house and just look after their no, family. It's like being true. a nanny or a governess; you're just in someone's house all the time. We, the children come into the school, yeah, of their own free will. So the plot thickens. This is now implicating Emily Sanford in some kind of plot against the Jeremys or some kind of something. Mm. Who knows? So the police are like, hang on, this is all, you know, what's going on? Sanford was the next to be arrested and questioned. She didn't hold out long. Oh. Weeping, crying. Oh, I didn't mean to do it. I didn't want to get involved. 
She says that uh, Rush had pressed her and pressured her to fraudulently sign the papers. Jeremy had not been present. His signature was forged. Surely Rush is done for at this point. It's not looking good, is it? No. No one was really surprised to find that Jeremy's signature was a was a mm. fake. Sanford just said, oh, I, he pressured me into it. Katie's making some squinty faces oh my as gosh. she drinks her margarita. It, it's, uh, it's a fierce number. It really is. How are you getting on, Chris? Mm. Oh, come non, on, Chris. Non-committal. <laughs> I mean, I'm squinting and I never squint. I'm not on McPhee. This is... I'm kind of working my way around the salt. Yeah, me too. Because I quite like the taste mm. of the salt with it. You'd prefer sugar on your margarita. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm sort of drinking each bit Mm. Adding a little new element of salt to mine. Me too, but even then I'm still a bit squintles. Yeah. So Emily, Emily Sanford, she starts to cry. She admits everything. She says, I didn't know anything about the murders. I only knew about this this plot to try and get the, the farm back for Jeffrey Rush. Jeffrey Rush? Australian actor Jeffrey Rush? He's not here. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, of course, James Bloomfield Rush. What a mistake. Oh, it's not James Blunt. <laughs> But she says, I didn't know anything about the murders, but they say, but did you see him on the night? And she says, he did come back. In a wig and beard <laughs> and a cloak and holding a smoking gun. But, you know, I don't know anything. No, not quite. But she did say he appeared and then he said, just say I haven't left the house this evening. Oh, my God, he's so dodgy. So and he's they're trying not to even having in. an affair. She's not even getting anything they out of this. They are having an affair. Oh. I'm afraid they are having an affair. So he's trying to kind of rope her in as his alibi mm. as well. They also discover, surprise, surprise, the letter from the mysterious Thomas Jeremy left at the scene. That's not anything. Oh. That was just an attempt to throw the police off. I mean, that's quite clever because the rest of the stuff he's done is not clever. <laughs> well, because all the all this history of disputes of inheritance. So mm. he thought, I'll try and capitalise on that. Make it seem like there's a, like, a yeah. mysterious family figure who wants to come in and Dark get the house. Dark lurking Jeremy's in the background. But you're right. If you were a murderer, why would you sign a letter and leave it at the murder yeah. site? It's ridiculous. So I don't think he was very clever. Sanford, yes. Yeah, so she admitted that they had, were having an affair. Oh, she thought she loved him. He, she thought he loved her. Oh, but despite this, she agreed to testify against him at his trial. And she was to be a key witness at the trial. Because she could say about this plot with the forged documents, about him coming home saying, just say I've, ne- I've not left the house tonight. Bain reports all of Norfolk was in an outrage. I bet they were. About the double murder and attack. Here's what he says. It was felt that Norfolk, considered one of the most of all counties in England in civilization, an act of deeper atrocity had been committed than any that had stained the annals of Ireland. <laughs> All execrated the assassin who had made a human shambles of a peaceful mansion and glutted his ferocious revenge upon unoffending victims. I like the human shambles, but I totally debate Norfolk being <laughs> civilised. He's what like, what? Nonsense. This double murder, it's worse than anything's happened I'm in Ireland. sorry. That's funny. So, yeah, Norfolk f- found it an outrage. But I also enjoyed the phrase human shambles. Mm. He had made the human shambles of a peaceful mansion. So everyone was up in arms. We know now it becomes a media sensation. Yeah, brilliant. Front page <laughs> of the sun. <laughs> oh, God. Just one lump of salt in my mouth. Oh, I tried to bash it with the meat cleaver. Maybe not Katie bashed it with the tenderizer to try and break the salt Oh, yes, not a cleaver, sorry. That would be a knife. Ugh. Oh, that's squinty. The trial was soon to take place. A parade of witnesses were brought in. Nice. Butler. Parade. 
Uh, I mean, he is quite wheezy. I'm not a fan of his. No. I, I felt the same. I'm not sure he deserves our sympathy too much because he did run away. But who knows? Maybe we would run away. That's true. I'm not sure how I'd stand up under pressure. But he's less like, geez, more like the... I'm sorry, some salt's gone everywhere. <laughs> more like, what's the what's the bad one who um who steals the book? You know, the Ganymede Club book. Oh, in Jeeves and Worcester? Yeah. And, um, um, no, I don't know. And when Jeeves... But I remember a Jeeves and Worcester when um, Jeeves bashed a man on the head with a cosh. Yeah. And I remember watching that when I was young. And I was like, hang on, Jeeves is performing a violent act. And my mum said, genuinely, she said, she went, don't worry, Jeeves will know exactly the right place to hit so that he's knocked unconscious but not long-term damaged. <laughs> oh, good work, Paul. That would be brilliant. <laughs> Which I suppose Jeeves probably Yes, of course would. he would. Um, <laughs> so... So, yeah, the butler testifies. Mrs. Sophia Jeremy tells her story. Other witnesses from the house, other servants who had seen the assailant fleeing, along with those from the village who had relevant information. A bookseller uh, was able to identify the pages of the book that the fake Thomas oh. Jeremy letter was written on and said, oh, yeah, I sold one of those to James Bloomfield Rush. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> he hadn't carried, he hadn't covered his, uh, his steps. Also, why buy a book for it? I mean, is there not a book Just in write the house? a bit of paper. Or maybe paper might be... You're right, why... It's Victorian uh, time, paper's not that precious. What a clumsy plot. He's got... The thing that is shit about it, for James Bloomfield Rush, is he's, he's obviously... He's thought about this for ages, so he's like, OK, I know this deadline's coming up. The house is mm. going to revert to the Jeremys. I need to try and do something. So he's made this whole plot with the forged documents. Also, he's bought a book. He's bought a wig. Yeah. He's bought a bit, like, stop yeah. spending money and on props. And then he's just left just... them in his house as well. But it's so cack-handed. He obviously thinks he's made this kind of genius uh... plot that no one will be able to uncover. But it's all so cack-handed. And also, he's picked a poor accomplice yeah. with Emily Sanford because she's just crumbled at the first sign of pressure. Pick on Miss Scarlet. <laughs> Maybe. By the by... None, no one from Rush's family visited him in prison. Well, yeah, but he's having an affair with the exactly. governess. His wife's so, like, screw you. His wife and children aren't visiting. You... The servant Eliza, who had rushed to help her mistress and was shot in the leg, yeah. she was brought into the courthouse, but because her leg wound was still quite bad, she was carried in on a special couch, ah. which was made for the purpose just so she could be brought into the courthouse to give her testimony. Um, and she really... was hailed as a hero. Yes, I imagine she Because was. she had run to the to assist her mistress. The opposite of the butler. Exactly. Who will never be able to find employment again. So everyone present was impressed by her bravery and heroism oh, as she was brought in on this couch and she gave her testimony and because she'd raced to the aid of her mistress. This is also interesting. Rush chose to defend himself. Oh my God, he's such a boob. He's like he's Ted Bundy style. He's like, I can do a better job than any oh. of these professional wankers. I'll just do it myself. Did he say I'm going to wear buy a new wig for it? And like, I'll just like be a different. Oh my god! He came in like swirling around a big cloak. I sure, can't believe sure. at the beginning I thought I was going to like him. Oh, you did. He's the worst. Oh, you thought you you thought you sympathies lay with uh, James Bond. Well, I Rush. thought it was going to be with the underdog dogs, and you know. So he he chose to defend himself, which meant that he got to cross examine all the witnesses. Which oh poor governors! I know he took particular time with Sanford, and she basically spent most of the time crying. Oh, he's such a rotter! Yeah, and from the sounds of it, he was very—he wasn't even cruel to her. He was very, or not overtly cruel or angry. He just the whole time adopted this kind of weird, amiable, like jolly manner with her. 
Oh, he's a psycho. And then she she cried and cried. But Rush found, as do most of those who present their own defence, he probably should have just got a lawyer in <laughs> because <laughs> it doesn't work out. It never <laughs> works. Bundy didn't work, did it? No. No, idiot. It never works on CSI. He was quickly found guilty. There was too much testimony against him. All the witness statements, also all this other evidence, the book, the wig the papers, the forged papers, all this sort of thing. The hanging was arranged to take place at Norwich Castle the following Saturday. Because we have learned, haven't we, Chris, mm. when we learned about gibbeting and other stories in recent weeks, you would be hung as quickly as possible. So it's not like nowadays when you go onto death row mm. and you're there for years, you could be there for years. There was no appeal system. So they were like, that's it, you're found guilty. The sentence is you will be hanged. Hanged by the neck until dead. Let's just get it out of the way. Yeah. Do it quick. So he was uh, condemned to be hanged at Norwich Castle. As we know by now, thousands came. Well, you would. I mean, seriously. You would go? Well, no, you know, yeah, no, I would go for the day. If I was alive at that time with those that morals, because... I don't a fun think, day out. I don't think I'd watch it, but, you know, I'd go and I'd have an eel pie. <sighs> I'd have a glass of mead yeah. in the street. I mean, I'm gone too early, haven't I? But, you know, like, yeah, it's a, it's a, it was, um, it's a equivalent of a fair day. I also read, I didn't put this in my notes, but I did read that um, there were, <laughs> they had to get extra police in because they were so worried about pickpockets from London uh, coming because they knew that there were going to be these huge, huge crowds in Norwich and Norwich wasn't used to such crowds. So they had, um, yeah, they got extra police to keep an eye on the pickpockets Oliver from Twist. London. He's coming, is he? Well, it's the only pickpocket I know. <laughs> Oh, no, actually, because um, Sherlock Holmes, what's his boys called? His boys? The Baker Street Irregulars. Thank you, Chris. They they do some pickpocketing when it's necessary to get... The, to get clues. Get the clues from the people's pockets. That's that what they say, but pockets. they're just stealing all sorts, I bet. Yeah, but Holmes gives them a little bit of money on the side to get the right stuff. He's a maverick. He's a... He doesn't play by the rules. No. <laughs> but he does get results. So all this, the, the crowds, balladeers sang hastily composed songs about the murders. <sighs> they boshed those out. The usual pamphlets were made for sale, hastily reporting the story, engravings depicting Rush in the courthouse, all this sort of thing. Rush maintained his innocence till the end. He never confessed. Because he's a psychopath. Sometimes they confess at the last minute, but he never did. So he was still like, no, no. And he claimed that he, he kept, well, maybe he was religious, but he kept like praying. Oh, I'm so, you know, Unless God will God will forgive me all this stuff. Sandhurst was in it all the time. Sanford. With, Sanford, sorry. With Sophia Jeremy. And they were secretly plotting against everyone. Ooh. Conspired to do all of it. That's what would happen if you wrote it. Yes. Sanford and Miss Sophia Jeremy. Yeah. So she just got shot in the arm. Actually, the arm is exactly... If you want to, to look like you've been yeah. hurt, but not anywhere that's going to do any lasting damage, the arm's the place. That's my theory. James Bloomfield Rush was a stupid idiot because all the things he did <laughs> were far too stupid. He was the fool guy. He was too stupid and obvious. <gasps> he was just the fool no guy. No one would go and buy a book just to write on its pages. Emily Sanford... Suggested the whole plan to him. Yeah. He was like, oh, yeah, great. I'll do all this stuff you told me. Yeah. He was the fool guy. Jeremy, Sophia, Jeremy got the estate. Yeah. I don't know if she did, though. Oh, I hope she didn't. Her and Stanford lived in it happily ever afterwards. Then they were like, we're going to have the cigars and pour in your face tea. No. <laughs> no more tea for us. No. Fuck you, PK. Yeah. Whatever that is. <laughs> we're having a cigar on the porch. Mm. 
in the very spot where... They're like, we're going to have a timber doodle before dinner. <laughs> have some consomme and it's all going to be great. That is the unreported side of the Stanford Hall murders. <laughs> well, could be. A final note, which will be nice for Chris and I, although Katie hasn't listened to all of our mini strangers so she won't know about this one. And it will be Katie's most hated mini stranger because it's the one we have entitled Gruesome Pieces. Well, that's why I'm avoiding it. That's, she's avoiding it. But do you remember the hangman of William Sheward? Can you remember his name? Um, no. William Colcroft. Um, celebrity, celebrity hangman. Celebrity hangman. William oh, he brought them in like bringing a French executioner. Yeah, but he, he through his career, which spanned over 40 years, was estimated to have done close to 500 executions. Wow. And we did, in, in Grease and Pieces, a story, uh, and ultimately the guy was hung by William Colcroft, but that was about 20 years after this story. But the hangman for James Boomfield Rush was a young William Colcroft. It's starting his career. Just starting his career. And with such an like, exciting, interesting case. Yeah. Well, he'd probably done a few, but... Yeah, but this is a pretty big... Yeah. So, yeah, Multiple so murders in a manor house. I know, very fancy, mm. as compared to William Sheward, who was more of a... Just a bad... Bad idiot. Egg. Just a bad idiot. But, um, yeah, so William Colcroft, one of the most prolific uh, hangmen in British history, was responsible for sending James Bloomfield Rush off on his final journey. And Fish, that's bush, the bash. story of the Stanfield murders. Ugh. Do you know what I've incredibly enjoyed the whole murder mystery in a house i've got all kinds of images in my head of yeah the i know yeah i could just imagine it because it's um for me the best thing is the this big circular staircase that you come into this really grand entrance hall and And then you see at the end of it this big staircase curled up and behind it this huge stained glass window Mm. and off to the sides the drawing rooms and the dining rooms and all this stuff and everyone has sherry before dinner and port after dinner and they... And then get shot. Yeah, I mean, that bit's <laughs> less excellent, but generally excellent. I, I thought that was and a brilliant mystery. And then the assailant coming in from Potash Farm at the side. Mm. All It's it's a good story. It's um, Obviously, we understand people were killed, so it's horrible, but it's a good story. It's I was also surprised by how many people were killed. When you said murder in a manor house, when you were giving me some slight clues, I was still... It was yes. a double murder. I was picturing a bit of arsenic. And it in could have of, easily yeah. been two extra. Yeah. Because he did try you know to what? shoot the others. I think Eliza's the heroine of the story. Yeah. And I hope when the governess and Sophia were living it up in the house <laughs> that Eliza got involved too. Because they, yeah, she, they didn't know. No. She didn't know that they had a plan. Yeah, a yeah, she didn't know on. that they had a plan. So she's just come and saved the day for. Oh, I got shot in the bloody leg. But it's fine because if all of them end up drinking port and smoking cigars, and you know, I can picture them by Christmas, they're all sitting around the fireplace, <laughs> legs on the poof, and they're all like, yeah, <laughs> feet up. Last port, and what about big tiny, tiny Sophia Jane? Well, she's just going to be brought up by three really strong, awesome women, and she's like. <laughs> I mean, I mean, two of them are psychos. Katie's putting a different spin on the whole yeah. story. And then, I like um, it. I should probably stop drinking this. Before. No, drink more. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's the end of our tale. But I must say, how lovely to have Katie back. Oh, I so, so had so much fun. I will also say, just a small sentence, good old Katie 
is a teacher, so she has been working throughout all these months when we've been hiding in our houses. Katie's been going to teach the key workers' children. Sounds like it's been quite fun, to be honest. Yeah, no, no. Sounds like you've had quite a good time. But... Thank you. Also, stop me from drinking before 12, so let's face it, that can't be a bad thing. But yes, but it's thank lovely. You, love. That's very it's, kind of you. It's lovely to have you back, and I hope you've enjoyed our silly thank story. really so much. It was a brilliant story. I loved it, and thank you very much for having me back. And I thank you, listeners. You we will put some pictures of our exciting drinks on Instagram. Maybe I'll do a blog on the website. Could do both. No reason why not. Social media savvy. I, I'm so social media savvy. Yeah. I need to change my Instagram name. <laughs> okay, let's, let's call it a day. Uh, thank you, Katie. See you soon. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Vinny. Asleep in the corner. Goodbye.